Let's go to John. John chapter 14. As we sort of stay in that mode of thinking, you know, Lent is a season where we follow Jesus into his journey to the cross, and um, there came a point in his life where the scriptures tell us that he set his face toward Jerusalem. Um, meaning that he was ready, like he's like, okay, now's the time to start preparing myself for the reality of what's ahead, and and so Lent is is along the same lines. It's it's a it's the church setting their faces toward Easter, toward um, what Jesus did for us, and all that that means, and it's a season of celebrating that and letting the the heaviness set in of it, but also letting the celebration. Uh, set in as well, and so it's it's kind of dark at times as it should be, and um, so at that kind of halfway point now, uh, or nearing the halfway point, um, you know we're we're thinking more about Easter. We're singing songs about like we just did about the cross and the resurrection and the victory that's there, and um, in thinking about the cross and beginning to kind of get ready for that celebration of that weekend. On Sundays, I'm just kind of going from various perspectives on uh, the cross, and you could do this for years and not cover all the ground that what Jesus did there, but we're just going to take uh, about six different swings at it uh, between uh, when Lent started and then. And so tonight, um, we're going to look at cross as an act of obedience. The cross is an act of obedience. And when I say the cross, uh, I'm th- meaning more than just the, just the crucifixion you know, thing where he's hanging up there. It's more than just like that. Um, I'm meaning his, his death and burial and resurrection kind of all wrapped up in that one term. And uh, the, the whole thing was this, this big act of, of, of worship, as we talked about last week, and, and how uh, like worship is, comes from this idea that of, of worth, and it's always connected in there that, that when you worship someone or something, you're showing that person or that thing exactly how much you value it. And so for Jesus to go to the cross was showing the Father how much he values him, how much he loves him. That he's essentially saying, Father, look how, much, look how, how worth, worth it you are. Look how much I value you and love you. And our own worship follows in that same thing, that as we we proclaim it in all these different ways, uh, exactly what God is all about. And so um, his value to us is very much like tied into like obedience as well. That worship and obedience in some ways are, are kind of like two sides of the same coin. And so this is going to have a lot of overtones from last week, but I think there's some uniqueness to it as well. Um, so you're in John 14. Let me read you something that may be familiar to you in Matthew 22. You don't need to turn to it. We'll put it on the screens. Um, Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. says, But when the Pharisees heard that he uh, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Him in this would be Jesus. So they're testing Jesus. Verse 36, Teacher, which is the great, uh, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So they were trying to trick him a little bit because they had so many laws. And they kind of had prioritized different ones over the other ones. And it was just a, just a big mess of legalism and rules. And, um, and so Jesus was kind of controversial. And so they were always trying to basically trap him into saying something that could get him in trouble. And, and so Jesus summarizes the law, summarizes everything that God wants his people to do into these two commandments. And says that everything else really hangs on these two. Uh, everything else is a form of these things happening. Um, so for hundreds of years, the people of God had, had been under these laws. And, I, and honestly, it seems like, based on what the Old Testament, how it reads, and it's up and down history, that they weren't always super sure what it meant to love God holistically, heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, and, and what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. And in the, in the context where that's given, it's saying it's, that means like... Um, Love your neighbor as, as one of your own, no matter who your neighbor is. That love your neighbor as yourself, meaning like the, like the Israelites. And so it, he wants basically for all of us to, be, to treat everyone else like they're a part of our own family. And God says, if you love me holistically and you treat your neighbors just like their family, then, uh, then you're, you're walking in the fullness of what it means to be the people of God. But they still didn't really understand it. And, and I think probably we can relate a little bit, especially to the first one. You know, I mean, you can, you know how to love uh, your friends, your family. You know how to love your dog. You know how to love, like, those tangible things. But God is, you know, he's, he's spirit, right? Like, it's like, it's kind of hard to know, like, what that really looks like when we're trying to make them the same. Um, and so Israel, they kind of didn't know what to do either. And so they kind of uh, went, went with the approach of really focusing on keeping the rules and doing the sacrifices, like bringing the animals to the temple and that kind of stuff. And so they were trying to keep the law, keep the sacrifices, and, and that was kind of their maybe understanding of what it meant to love God. And, um, and that was some of it, you know, but there's obviously a lot more to it. And and I think that their up and down history is kind of proof that they didn't really understand it totally. And I can relate because I think I have my whole life have struggled with exactly what it means to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think that that's okay. I think that's a part of what we're learning together and we're learning from Jesus. Um, but it isn't as mysterious now as it was to them back then. Because Jesus shows up, and what Jesus does is he lives this life that is constantly showing us what commandment one and commandment two look like in like real life, like in real time. He's like, you want to you know what it means to love God holistically? Well, just watch me, and I'll show you. You want to know what it means to treat your neighbor like their family? Watch me, I'll show you. And so we have this model, uh, and that's not the only, like, he's not here putting on this act, well, let me act it out for you since y'all are all, you know not smart enough to catch on. It's him just being himself. And so we have this, in these Gospels that capture these moments of Jesus living life with his disciples within this community, and we see him modeling for us and showing us what it means to love God and love neighbor like yourself because that's genuinely who he, who he is. And so we're learning from the master when we're looking at him. And so anytime that you're sitting there and you're like, man, it's just, I don't understand like the first, the great commandment. It's so much pressure because how do you love God? Well, you imitate God. 
in loving God, that Jesus comes and loves the Father. And so when it comes to, when it comes to loving your neighbor like their family, we see him interacting with everyone uh, full of grace and full of truth, that he's just constantly in that, in that groove of um, acting out what God intends for us over and over and over again. Um, like, like I said, not to demonstrate it only, it's just who he is. And so we see that full of grace and truth and that compassion and kindness and the fact that he's just present, you know, with people. And, and when we imitate him in those ways, when you're, when you're present with your, with your friends, with your family, I'm like deeply present, you know, um, when you're with your neighbors beyond, you know, kind of some like waves at them, that kind of stuff, when you're, when you're with them socially hanging out, when you're there when life hits, when something bad happens, when uh, that consistency that's there, when you're, when you're going about your day full of grace and truth with everyone that you meet, then you're living out that second commandment. You're, you wouldn't ignore your family member. Well, maybe you would, but if they're really like a healthy family, then maybe you wouldn't ignore them when we're sitting there. And so when we go through our lives and we're imitating him, we're, we're, we're following him into that second commandment in a way that's real. Um, and regard to the first commandment, we see Jesus as a model for this. We see him praying. We see him uh, like getting alone by himself, away from everyone else, to spend time with the Father. We know that he is, is engaged with the Scriptures because he's quoting them all the time. Um, we know that going to the synagogue was a regular thing for him which is not the same as coming to church, but it's kind of like that, you know. So there were these regular gatherings with people. There was solitude. There were disciplines. There were all these things that we see him doing that were showing us what commandment one looks like. Like This is what people who love God do. They spend time with the people of God. They spend time with people who aren't the people of God. They retreat off when they need to. They know the scriptures. They pray and ask the Father for wisdom and guidance, and they are completely present with everyone. That's modeling the first commandment for us. And when you just jumble all that stuff together, there's this life that you're like, yeah, that's, that's who I want to be. That's, a, that's who I want to be right there, consistently, all the time. And one of the things we see Jesus doing over and over and over again is prioritizing the Father's will above his own will as a way of communicating something to the Father and to the world, and that is obedience. That obedience is, is wrapped up in that first great commandment. We see Jesus modeling that for us and inviting us into his life in the same way that that, that, that is what we are going for when it comes to loving God, is being obedient. So let's, let's just run through a couple of, the, of Jesus, what he has to say in his own words. So if you're in John 14, we'll kind of move through a couple of these chapters, just pulling out some different quotes here. Um, look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. 
Right? That's a pretty big statement that Jesus makes. I mean, we, under, we, we kind of know, like, yeah, he's supposed to say that, but and Jesus is not lying, and he's not just, like, like towing the company line or whatever. Like, that's, he's saying the Father is greater than I. And you guys should be pumped for me because I get to go be with the Father. Like, you should, you should know that I'm going to where I really want to be. So there is this exaltation of the Father within the Trinity. Um, verse 29, Now I have told you before, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Meaning, that's to my Satan. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Verse 31. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is saying that our obedience shows the world who we love. Which, you might be like, well, yeah, I knew that. But think about that for a second. Like, your obedience to the things God has called you to is, is communicating something to the people around you. It's communicating something to, to the Christians around you and the people who are not Christians around you. It's saying, I want you to know who I love. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm obedient to the commands of my Father because I want the world to know that I love Him. For me, that, that casts a different light on some of the things that I'm called to do in obedience to the Father. Sometimes obedience is easy. Sometimes it's like, you're just like, oh man, you know. But when you think of it as like, no, I get to show the world that I, like the God that I love, I get to show it to him, not just tell him. And that's what Jesus is saying, and he invites us into that. It not only shows the world who we love, but it shows God who we love as well. That's that worship that we were talking about. That's why they're so linked together. That obedience is this display to the world and to the Father, exactly, like it's just showing exactly who we love above all else. So Jesus is discipling his guys in this, right? And he's trying to help them understand, like, the weight of what's about to happen. Um, in uh, chapter 15, if you want to keep looking, look at verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so we see that obedience is tied, it's tied to abiding. So, in obe- like, so abiding, we're talking about uh, the trunk of a tree and the branch of a tree and how they, the branch is dependent on the life of the trunk for water, for nutrients, for life. When they're separate, they die. When they're, to, uh, when they're separate, the branch dies. When they're together, the branch produces fruit. Um, so Jesus is saying, I'm the trunk of the tree, you're the branch of the tree, and our connection is there. And obedience is, is a part of that abiding. He's saying they're linked together, uh, and, and really they feed each other. If you look at what he's saying, verse 10, if you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And people say, like, oh, I really struggled with a consistent abiding life. What you're also saying is, I struggle to consistently obey what God wants me to do. But they're the same. And when you're being obedient, when you are following Jesus into prayer and the scriptures and community, 
Uh, and we, when you are loving your neighbor like they're your own family, your neighbor being really whoever you're around at the time, when that's your steady rhythm of life, you are abiding because that is your connection to God himself. And so they're both together. And then when you're being obedient, it's helping you abide more because you're, you're in that groove right exactly how God made you to be. And so they're the same. And so for Jesus to say that he kept his father's commandments and abided in his love, pushing those together... He's telling his disciples something very, very profound. He's saying, hey, obedience is more than just do this act so that God is pleased with you. You're connecting to the very life of God, the very power of God within you. Look at verse 12 in that same chapter. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That there's, this commandment is... Um, it's, it, it's a new commandment. Not that loving each other is a new commandment, but the as I have loved you part, that's this new thing that Jesus introduces. Because now he's shown them exactly like what that love looks like in real life and in real time. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that, lay, someone, that, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So with God, so Jesus, he's saying like, hey, you're my friends. You don't just work for me, you know? Like we're, we're and we're not just family, like we're, we're family friends. We're friends and family. We're kind of push those into one kind of thing. And because we're friends and because we're like all part of the same family, there's this commandment that we're under. And so we're going to do this together. And so Jesus is like, I've modeled this with you. I've done this with you and you with me. Now you go do that for other people and within that, we're showing like, hey, we're all in a relationship with each other. He's saying obedience is driven by love. It's driven by friendship. Like it's, it's really, it's driven by this relationship that we have with God. He's not our boss and we're his workers. We're in this family and he's the dad. Like he's the guy who's been like, hey, this is how the family needs to be run. And because we love him and we're in relationship with him, we're like, cool, we're going to do what you tell us to do. And he said, I want you just to keep duplicating this love uh, with everyone. And, and through that, we're all going to be reminded of the fact that we're family and we're friends and we like each other, you know. That keeping a law is driven by, you know, like you, you let's, let's pretend for a second that we all obey the speed limit. You obey the speed limit because you are afraid of getting a ticket. All right, let's... So there's a, there's a fear that's driven there, and if you, like, go, if you, like, fly down the interstate, and you're like, I don't care what the speed limit is, then there's a rebellion that's there against that law, and saying, like, I'm not afraid of you, cop, or whatever. And so that, keeping those laws, there's no relationship in there. You don't have a relationship to the laws of our land, because they're not alive. But obedience is, is within the context of these relationships and so it's, it's about love, and it's about connection with each other, and it's about showing people, again, who you love. It's about showing God that you love Him. And so obedience is like, it's this really beautiful, like, community rhythm that we all kind of function within. Um, the whole time, hearing God out about the first commandment and the second commandment, and seeing how all that is working together, uh, instead of it's this thing that God's like, if you don't do this, you're going to be in trouble. He's like, hey, do you love me? And we're like, yes, we love you. And he's like, hey, let's, let's do this together. And we're like, yes, let's do that together. It's so different. For some reason, obedience has this like stigma with it that we kind of just need to let it be redefined. 
And so Jesus is redefining what obedience is about to his disciples and uh, us, kind of all wrapped up in this one thing. And so obedience is this new, beautiful form of worship for us. Obedience is like a song that we sing. Obedience is like a prayer. Obedience is like uh, engaging with the scriptures. Obedience is like serving someone. Obedience is like loving your neighbor as yourself. Obedience is this incredible expression of God's worth to us and his value to us and the fact that he and us are all part of this one big thing. And although he's the head of this family, we're in this one family that he wants us to be a part of. So let's let Jesus redefine obedience instead of letting the laws or our school teachers growing up or any sort of like weird household rules that you had or whatever that kind of created this thing like, oh, I have to obey or else I get in trouble. Let's let all that stuff kind of be pushed in the like false narrative category for a second of lies we've learned along the way and see that Jesus is excited about his obedience. Like he's excited about what's ahead. Not necessarily the crucifixion part, okay, admittedly. But it's for the joy set before him that he's going to endure all that. Like he's excited that finally I get to go and be obedient in this very special, unique way that's going to bring all these kids into the family. All these prodigals are going to come home because of this obedience. And if you and I can see our individual acts of obedience through that same lens as this massive opportunity to love God and to love other people and to show everyone exactly what's important to us, if we can get on board with that more and more and more and more, then I think we are in line with our rabbi in a way that we all want to be, you know? Look, in, uh, look at verse 15 in, in chapter 15. It says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Commandment one flows into commandment two, and the community of God, the family of God, the people of God, the kingdom of God, looks like it's supposed to. Through the obedience, through the joyful, faithful, confident, worshipful community that is the church. And don't turn here. In John 4, um, right after Jesus had had the encounter with the woman at the well, and the disciples had gone to get some food, and they come back, and they uh, says, mean, this is verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, he, Jesus has the best burns on the planet. Like, he just smokes them right here. And he said, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. <laughs> He's not like throwing the Jesus car. There's no juke involved there. He's like being honest. He's just had this encounter where he's ministered to this woman who is completely confused about who God is. And he's probably like on 10, just jacked about the fact that he gets to do this and glorify the Father. And they're like, hey, dude, eat something. And he's like, you don't even know. You don't even know what sustains me. 
That my food is to, be, is to do the, one, the will of the one who sent me. I'm, I'm here for, for something more. For obedience to be like food to Jesus is kind of uh, appropriate to think about during Lent when we're abstaining from things. Could you imagine longing for it to be obedient to, to the Lord, to Jesus, just as much as you long to eat a meal sometimes? Like for that kind of groaning to be within you. Well, it's not impossible because otherwise Jesus was like, oh, would be like, no, that's not really for y'all. Instead of saying, come, be a part of this. Come into this kind of life. Philippians 2 has the, the Christ hymn that we always talk about. And um, 5 through 8, let me read it to you, and I'll have so, a few closing things to say. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So like I said, Jesus saying that obedience is like food to him. Paul is saying, hey, the mind of Christ, can, like that's your mind. So don't act like that's not possible for you. Verse 6 says, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's part of what we celebrate right now. You know, Christmas time, in Advent, we're talking about the incarnation. And this is a part, this is like the, the apex of this incarnational life for him, that he, he could have just stayed in heaven. He could have just hold, held on to uh, all of his rights as the son of the Father, but he let go of that. He was open-handed about it and agreed to go with this plan that the Father, Son, and Spirit like conjured up and dreamed out in this beautiful way, the painful side of it was like, okay, well, I'm going to sacrifice you, son. And the son said, okay, dad. And they were like, all right, let's do this. That's my own paraphrase. And that's what we're talking about right now, is that this is the point where the son is getting to where he's like, all right, I'm going to set my face toward Jerusalem, toward my act of obedience, which was the, the culmination, the apex, the high point of why He's here. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. That it wasn't just obedience. It was this obedience no matter what it cost me. That was, that's that kind of obedience. And it's only found where there's humility. And so he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So in going to the cross, we see the ultimate expression of worship and obedience. Jesus is not only saying in, through the cross, he's not only saying in a, worship, in a worship sense, like, Father, look how much you are worth to me. He's also saying, Father, I'll do what you've sent me to do because I love you, and I believe in who you are, and I believe in what you're doing, and what you have done, and what you're going to do. Like, I believe in those things Enough to prioritize my own desire, uh, to, pr- to prioritize your desires above my own desires. It is, it is this act of worship, but it's also this act of obedience, saying it's not my will, but it's your will. And if that means going to the cross, then I'm going to do that. And so that's why the cross is an act of obedience. Because Jesus doesn't see obedience as this... Uh, drag, you know, as this like thing you just kind of have to do and whatever, just part of life. He sees it as an opportunity 
to show God in the world that he loves him and that he believes in the plan and he believes in the kingdom and he believes in what's happening and he believes that through his death the Father will be glorified through the redemption of all of us. So he's saying, this is how much I love you. This is how much I believe in what we're doing. And when he comes to us and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's inviting us into a life of that kind of obedience. Not necessarily an obedience that's going to require crucifixion and death. Maybe, but probably not. But we're coming into the mind of Christ, which is saying, uh, I'm going to humble myself and become a servant within the family, and whatever the obedient step looks like for me, I'm, I'm ready to do that. I'm willing to do that. And sometimes it's these big, lifelong story arcs that we have, you know. It's this, this big, long life of, uh, of that, uh, that like, long obedience in the same direction, which is a Nietzsche quote, by the way, so uh, enjoy that. But this idea that you're like, no, my whole life is going to be this one long trajectory of obedience in, this, in the direction of the glory of the Father. And within that, there are these, these like maybe smaller arcs of obedience. And you can get all the way down into your daily arcs of obedience and the, the, the morning arc and the afternoon arc and the evening arc. However you want to break it down, you can do that. Filled with, with very small and very long trajectories, all of these arcs all pointing in the same direction that we're saying, Jesus, I want to join you in that because we're joining him in what he did too. The long arc would be like, you know, from the beginning of time to the end of time, which don't end and I get all that kind of stuff. But then there's like his, his time on earth and then there was the, the, the 30 years until his ministry and then the three years. And then within that, it's just daily obedience, 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 obedience. None of it was a, was a grind in the way that we sometimes think of obedience. So Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross daily. Meaning, every day, it's this intentional step of saying, Alright God, whatever you want today, I'm all in. And so we say that on a Monday, and we live it out. Maybe we assess it at the end of a Monday. And we say it on a Tuesday. We go through Tuesday. You know, those little arcs of obedience. So, in terms of like, what, what does this really mean? Let me just ask you the general question. Like, what's, he called you to, what's he calling you to do? If you're a Christian, you have that really long obedience thing kind of there. Like, all the other arcs fall within this one idea of God's glory. But in terms of the arc of your, the, the arc of your life, the, the various arcs of your life... What, what's he telling you to do? What's he telling you to do in caring for your soul and being a part of this church family or your community group or your family and your friends? What are those various things he's calling you into? And are you looking at them as acts of worship and opportunities to show the world and show God that you love them? Or has obedience become just kind of one of those things that's maybe a little too cloudy. Maybe you need to let Jesus redefine obedience for you. And if you're like most people, you probably have three different categories of obedience. You probably have things that you are saying yes to, and you have things that you're saying no to, and there's things that you are ignoring. Right? Well, 
Well, yeah. Let's not ignore it just for a minute. At least that it's there categorically. Things you're saying yes to, things you're saying no to, and things you're ignoring. You're pretending like he didn't call you to do that. For the things that you're saying yes to, I just want to, let me just encourage you as a part of, we're all part of this community together, to just keep going. Just keep doing it. Obedience is not guaranteed to be fun. I think that some of the things that Jesus did here on the earth when he was here had to be a blast. Can you imagine getting to like restore someone's sight? I, it just blows me away. What, what must that have been like? He must have just had days where he was just loving life. And there were other days, like in Gethsemane, where he's sweating blood because he's, his anxiety was so high and he's asking his best friends, like, will you just sit with me for a little while because I need to pray? And they keep falling asleep, and he gets so irritated. Bad day. Healing the blind, good day. Gethsemane, bad day. About to get worse. Keep saying yes to the things that you're saying yes to. Bring in help. Bring in accountability. Talk about it in your community group. Talk about it with your friends and your family. Don't be isolated with it, but keep saying yes because he is worth it. To the things you're saying no to, maybe, maybe it's time to just spend uh, some focused energy thinking about why you're saying no to those things. Why you're saying no to what you, you know he's calling you to do, whether it's uh, the general call in the scriptures, you know, that we see about disciplines and about community and about the Spirit's empowering of those things. Um, But maybe there are specific things that you know that He has put heavy on your heart that you have just flat out said, I'm not doing that. You're just refusing. There's some reasoning behind that. And maybe it's worth seeking some wisdom about. Maybe it's worth bringing some other people in on Maybe, maybe it's just because you're not thinking about it correctly. You're not seeing it as an opportunity. You're seeing it as like an obligation. And uh, so maybe, maybe he, just like Jesus was redefining obedience to his disciples here, maybe he wants to redefine those things he's called you to if you just listen. Whenever we see it through the right lens, disobedience just seems silly. It really does. And then for the things that you're ignoring... Uh, just do the same stuff I just said. Because I know, I know how it is to ignore things, and there are things that are probably on your, have, that you have been through before in your, as you've walked with the Lord, like things that you know He has spoken, that He has made come alive in you, He has called you to do, that for one reason or another you have said no to it, or you're ignoring it, or you're saying one day, one day, one day. And I could run through a whole list of examples, but I'm just not going to do that because why, you know? But we all kind of have that tendency to just to find a reason to ignore something we know that God started, you know. He spoke to you. And so maybe it's time to revisit that. Maybe it's time to have some conversations uh, with him and with each other again. Because we are a, commu- a community that is obedient. And just like Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and said, all right, it's time to say yes. Maybe we as a community set our faces toward Jerusalem 
and also say, you know what, it's time. It's time to say yes to him. It's time to dig, to, to dig those things back up again. It's time to open up the compartment that I've put that in for a while and start to explore it and talk about it and pray about it again. It's, it's time to see obedience for what it is, not in the world around us, but within our kingdom. It's time to follow Jesus into obedience. He models it for us perfectly. And so wherever this lands with you tonight, I, just, I, hope, this, I hope it's encouraging. I hope it's, I hope it's fun to think about the possibilities that just you saying yes to God in the simplest of ways or in these really, really big ways are communicating something to Him um, in a very, very special and unique way. You're saying, I love you and I trust you and I put you ahead of myself. So as a part of the community, we, we have one another to help go through the journey together. And um, a part of, though, what we do is we gather together, and our response, you know, we sing together, and we, um, we pray together, or we just kind of take advantage of the gathered group of saints. Um, so every Sunday during Lent, we're, we have communion as an option to respond. And, and the reason is, like, every response that we make to Jesus is, is going through, like, through the cross, if it weren't for the cross, we would not be able to say yes to him. And so anything that you want to say yes to him about tonight is going to, like, the blood of Jesus is a part of that. The life of Jesus is a part of that. And so uh, in some Christian traditions, uh, you respond to every sermon by taking communion. Like, that's like every, that's just what you do. They don't even sing. They're just like, all right, now we take communion. Because every response is going to go through Christ. And while we kind of, like, change it up here and there, during Lent, this is a part of what we're going to do on Sundays. And so we're going to do that together um, but not in a, like, everybody has to do it kind of way, just as an, as an option. And so two of our elders will be down here, and you can approach, and it's, it's the kind of, of, of communion setup where you tear the bread off, and, um, and apparently it's like a very comical thing down here, uh, because that's kind of like awkward, you know, you tear the bread, you dip it in the, in the juice, right? Uh, and so just know that when you get there, if you like stare at them, they're just going to stare back at you because you're supposed to make the first move, right? So you tear the bread off, and then we do it that way because there's something about ripping the bread. You know, it's ripping of the flesh of Jesus. Like it's, there's a depth that's there. And then you dip that into the juice, and they're saying the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And so uh, we're going to sing a song together first, and then Cody's just going to say, all right, the, the, the table is open. You can come and approach. And if you want to come, that's cool. If you want to stay where you are, that's cool. If you want to come and pray, that's cool too. But in this unique time where we're gathered together, uh, let's respond to the call to obedience and whatever that needs to look like for you in these next few minutes before Chase comes and closes us, okay? So let's stand together and I'll pray. Lord God, um, I mean, you knew that we would need uh, a lot of things to be redefined. That we, You knew that we would grow up in a world that was teaching us all kind of, uh, all kinds of lies and just distortions of what, of who you are and what you've done and who we are and how the world works. And Jesus, I'm thankful for uh, these scriptures and how you were showing your disciples then and now exactly what obedience is. So we just need your help in thinking about it correctly. 
no matter where on the spectrum we fall, from healthy to unhealthy, uh, and our understandings of what it means to obey you, I pray that we would just listen to you and follow your example and see obedience as a way for us to say yes to commandment one and commandment two. Ways to love you and to love the people around us. I'm sure it falls in a lot of different places in this room. Um, and so only you can uh, only you can take this idea and help it land in every single mind and heart. So I pray that you would just have your way in these next few minutes that whatever word we need to receive as individuals and as a community about obedience, we would receive it. And as we sing, that may we sing from a place of gratitude and a place of ascribing worth to you and acknowledging your value to us and what you have done. And, and after this first song, when the table is open, that we would respond either by approaching and partaking of the body and blood or by kneeling in prayer, or maybe by staying put and singing, or maybe it's just just looking around the room and just being blessed by the response of your people. But these closing moments are are sacred. I mean, all these moments are sacred, but and when we're approaching the table, that's a special, special thing. And so help us through this song to prepare and uh, to embrace what you're doing.